Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast run by a group of Italian mobsters out the back of a greengrocer. I'm Douglas and with me as always is my not Italian co-host, Jonathan. How are you, Jonathan? I'm wonderful. I, I had this moment where I was like, oh, I should see if I could do like the old the old Italian mobster. Dude, the- like, <gasps> smoke is long. Yeah, yeah, the Marlon Brando. You yeah. got <laughs> you gotta set this boy right, Douglas. And <laughs> and I guess I just did it. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Full circle, really. If this is your first time tuning into the 250, we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020, and we have begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, thoughts, and reactions to the movies within. Today's movie is number 138, Casino. Sam and Nikki are old friends who work in the seedy underbellies of society. Sam has an incredible talent for setting betting handicaps, and Nikki is a no-nonsense thief and hitman. When Sam gets given the opportunity to run a casino in Las Vegas, Nikki follows to get his piece of the action. Oh, I like it. Uh, Casino is written and directed by our very good companion of the IMDb (laughs) Top 250 list, Martin Scorsese, who is also known for Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, and Raging Bull, amongst many, 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 many other films. And it is based on the book by Nicholas Pileggi, uh, who also wrote Goodfellas. Is that what I am to take away here? Yep, yep. He wrote the book Wise Guy, which is apparently what Goodfellas is- Based on. Gotcha. 10-4. Uh, neither Jonathan nor I have watched this film before. No, no. I, uh, you say our good friend, Martin Scorsese, I feel like at this point he's sort of like the guy who's like, like a little too keen to hang out, you know? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, Martin, I know, I know. Keeps on knocking on the door and he's got this, he's got this idea that, you know, he's really latched <laughs> onto it. He really, really likes it and he just can't stop doing it. And you're like, okay, Martin, like we get it, man. But I'm getting a little bit sick of pepperoni pizza. We need something else, man. Like, we need some more variety here. And then Martin's like, no, 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 no. There's pepperoni pizza. But there's more pepperoni, you dumb bitch. I bet you didn't see that one coming, you dumb motherfucker. And then you're like, whoa. Like, you got to play the game. you got to be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting more pepperoni whoa. on this pizza. This is crazy. <laughs> you're right. That's exactly what it's like. The pepperoni is, like, slightly different. This one's got fennel in it. Oh, yeah. whoa. Whoa. holy shit, Martin. No way, bro. And then I'm like, oh, just eat half of it and put the rest in the fridge. I'll have it for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> it's on one hand, I definitely, I assume this is the same for you. I'm definitely, I'm feeling Scorsese fatigue. But on the other hand, yeah. this is probably a good, like the way it's so close together. I think we've had our last three Scorsese films within a two month span, I think. Yep. Yep. Wolf of Wall Street, Raging Bull, and now Casino. Yeah. I think we had another one before. We've already had two other Scorsese films prior to those, to this batch yeah. as well, which was Fuck Shutter me. Island and The Irishman. Yeah. Wow. Um, and we've still got more to go, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. He's prolific. And, <laughs> That's and the people, fucked up People thing. like him. Yeah. On one hand, yeah, we're like fatigued, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other yeah. hand, it's nice that they're so clustered because I was sort of looking around- because uh, this this is another thing is is that the film has this very weird relationship with its sort of leading female character, and I wanted to find some. And we'll talk about this probably in a second. I wanted to find some ladies' opinions on that situation, right? Because mm. I'm like, I, mm. I I definitely don't feel on the character. Yeah, yeah. I I don't feel like I'm qualified to 
comment on the the appropriateness of this character blah 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 and yeah we will get into that later but i was watching uh deep focus lens shout out deep focus lens uh just a youtuber she i really really liked her take on it actually she she seemed to like really think about stuff a lot better than we do she was talking about like her direct comparisons of like oh like goodfellas and taxi driver and blah blah like she's clearly being able to really keep them in memory for like comparison's sake. Pretty keyed into, yeah, what Scorsese does. Which I think would have would be valuable, but fuck, there's so many movies out there, man. Like it's it's <laughs> just like slogging your way through the Scorsese. Uh to be to be able to do I think I think for me, I can't and but perhaps it's because we've got a huge variety of stuff and perhaps it's just not one of my skills. Uh but keeping all that stuff in memory is for direct comparison's sake, it's really fucking difficult for me. I just don't think I could do it. Why well, clearly, I I have uh, you know a good memory of what's going on, but the direct comparisons where she's like, oh, I think Joe Pesci isn't like as good as the other Joe Pesci characters there's been, and and like uh, no goddamn. But yeah, yeah, it's it is interesting. I I found a lot of direct sort of comparison feeling to other films that we've had like like they th- not thematically structurally feel very similar Sorry, i'm gonna run away with this now because i've got loads of thoughts nah, and i've just started talking um and another thing once again shout out deep focus i hadn't heard of this term i'd pick this up because i remember it feeling super familiar I, re- I wrote in here i said i believe i compared it to snatch the sort of um like editing style and then i realized that Wolf of wall street does it as well where you you have blocks of consistent, you know, in the space of the characters, just standard, I guess, film, and then you'll kind of drop narration in and out where it's necessary. And then sometimes you'll have complete, like, hard cuts to maybe some, like, VHS-style video or, like, um, some fast motion of, like, something mm-hmm. happening that's sort of unrelated. Snatch does that. I believe Lockstock did it and obviously Wolf of Wall Street does it heaps and that is referred to as needle drop montages I believe and they are Ooh. they are all which makes sense like needle drop or I guess it feels more like a needle scratch yeah yeah montage mm. I don't know adjusting the pace and the visual of the the film mm. where it, it feels uh very analog but jarring but still tonally within the confines of the film still very good yeah it gives you this this angle of you're being told the story by the characters which is supported by the the narration and uh maybe the change perspectives and things like that like you can as soon as i start thinking about that conceptually i can hear jason statham going like and then we the the ruddy bastard (laughs) (laughs) guess what he did next the thing that we didn't expect and it like shows a cut of another character in like black and white or something i love your jason statham impression man i'm gonna need you to get me to do that one again yeah that's it's not happening guys i'm not i don't have the energy can you can you do your needle scratch moment jason statham narration for the Ah, okay yeah yeah yeah. um and you see, that's when shit really started to get fucked up, didn't it? And then it like it cuts to like Joe Pesci like running along in an alleyway and then tripping on a banana peel or something, and then like, and then it comes back. And he's like, 
before the cutaway, um, Jason Statham is like drinking a, a pint, and then Ooh. on the cutaway back, the pint's empty. Boom! Slam it down on the on the on the top oh, of the bar. Oh, Douglas! I'm getting tingles. <laughs> You got to play UK garage music uh, <laughs> behind the cutaway. Yeah. 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 Like some tribe called Quest or like Run the Jewels kind of shit yeah. underneath it. Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Man. It's perfect. We, need- we, wow. fucking, we should write a screenplay <laughs> or something at the rate that we're going. Hey. Oh, I would shit my pants to be able to work with Jason Statham. That would be so good. He would. You know, I'd, I'd, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past Jason. If we wrote something specifically for Jason Statham, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him to be like, yeah, all right. No, sorry. He'd be like, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Jason no, Statham no. does not appear in this film. I want there to be no misconceptions about this. Jason Statham, unfortunately, does not appear in Martin Scorsese's 1995 Casino. <laughs> I did literally ask for this, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that structure, it's, it's very Wolf of Wall Street, and, you know, Wolf of Wall Street is also by Scorsese, so I wonder where the inspiration came from. Maybe it came the other way around. So, that's really cool. That was a fun little sort of focus for it. And yeah, it's like a very pretty movie. It's three hours long, which- Classic. Was a bit of a slog. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the parallels to be made between this and Wolf of Wall Street are actually- pretty immense mm. this is also one of my most fragmented watching sessions i did a 40 mm. minutes and then a 20 minutes and then two hours oh i was just gonna comment on the gentleman who did the cinematography for casino robert richardson is long time worker with quentin tarantino oh he's done Cinematography for basically all of my favorite Tarantino films. So, oh. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, The Hateful Eight, Shutter Island, and then he did Venom Let There Be Carnage as well, which makes complete sense because I love that <laughs> movie. That movie kicks dick. Did you watch the original? The first Venom, yeah. Yeah, I watched the first one and then I went and watched the, the second one. I still haven't, still haven't got around to it. It's really good. The second one is really, really good. Mm, mm. It's a good time. I want to talk about the characters, but we can't really run away with that too much. It's Yeah. Yeah, that's a trickier concept. Uh, I would almost, as far as an auditory sphere goes, it almost feels a bit like a musical because there's no, not too many points where there's no score or no... Uh, perhaps I shouldn't say score. There's no original compositions, I don't believe, for the film. They're all in true Scorsese form. Songs that have been plucked from here and there of pre-existing compositions and just whacking them in wherever he sees fit. But having that, which I love, I loved all of the tracks that get played throughout the film. They're really, really good. But then also having the narration in there... Mm. There's a lot of narration in this film. <laughs> well, like, once again, that that music, like, trendy current music, like, fits that needle drop montage style of film editing so well. Yeah. It feels like you're sitting in, like, a 
a bar hearing a story from a person and it's yeah like, mm, true yeah yeah, yeah. True. or like or like a documentary type thing it's it's cool and it's the way that pesci and de niro handle all that dialogue is very lax and kind of just yeah yeah true very storytelling which is i guess what you need narration to be you're telling a story and you're elaborating on the visual for the viewer so especially when you yeah scorsese is quite good at like especially when it's real world kind of stuff and you know you need to get out the info that this person was a real person this person was a real person they were in this situation when this happened you got to get that info out there somehow and more often than not it does it very very cleverly through narration Hmm. yeah you know what you changed my mind i don't mind the narration now (laughs) i i think it was a really unique take with the narration with having two characters and Oh God, I, I'm actually kind of keen to talk about that. Is while this is your kind of classic rise and fall, like this is the thing that I was like really the most fatigued by with like Scorsese. Is there's this, yeah, like the rise and fall of a character in like some kind of dodgy industry, and the other thing was the relationship. That you know is going to go sour from like day one thing. Those are the like two very key elements things. to a Scorsese. Yeah, usually any or Shutter Island, I guess to some degree, but Shutter Island is probably the most diverse amongst Scorsese so far that I've seen amongst Scorsese's kind of mo. Hmm. Mm, yeah, but I think it, I think it's more. Yeah, it's for more the mob films. Obviously, Wolf of Wall Street is another one that that we have watched that feels like like um, Irishman felt pretty different. Well, I, I don't think Irishman has the relationship falling apart, but it is like a rise and fall thing a bit. Yeah, true. Yeah, the 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 key kind of undertone that Scorsese really likes to kind of set in is the idea that crime and organized crime usually never pays. He he really goes for all the glitz and glam of the crime of whatever real life person committed the crime, but then at the very end always makes sure that it circles back around to a place of like, yeah, but you don't get anywhere doing this shit, which I think is kind of a cool thing. I, I you know, not in a sense glorifying uh, being a criminal for a little bit and really delving into the mythology of some of these people that had partaken in these crimes but then also taking it back to kind of square one and just going yeah okay but there's still crime not good crime bad you do crime (laughs) bad things happen so i appreciate that fundamentally there is a point to it where you sort of wonder how much and this is also something that deep focus was talking about is that like it's supposed to be a very cautionary tale but you wonder how many people watching it see it that way and how many people do just sort of watch it for the spectacle and the, or enjoy it for the spectacle and things like that. we talked about this with wolf of wall street where where it was definitely like people were like yeah i liked it when leo did this fucking sick thing like they did something crazy or something stupid or something obscene and like people I, people are definitely like not coming away from this with that cautionary tale i think i think not you know, uh, by and large, I'm not going to say one way or another, but there's definitely people who would be watching this just for like 
the excitement. And I mean, it's it's an extremely flashy movie. So, I think that would like play into that a whole lot. Well, it's a flashy locale, Jonathan. Well, it's a, fl- <laughs> well, it's a flashy town. Yeah. Yeah. It's- uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I don't 100% agree with that. Or I think it's- it's- I think that's the intention. That's the other thing is that like how much does Scorsese just want to write a cool movie about gangsters in Las Vegas and then sort of like well, it has to have a bit of heart to it. So, it's got to have a yeah. bit of a message to it. Uh, that's not really something that I think you can make a hard decision on or, 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 or say what he was thinking. But mm. Barry Lyndon was the other thing I was thinking. It's a very similar flavor ah, where, yeah, where it's rise and fall of this guy and and a relationship that's doomed to fail from the start. I, 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 that in particular, that, that was what I was worried about. That, that, that the rise and fall of like a criminal thing, I think is always fun to watch and it's fine. And you sort of generally don't feel too bad about it. Like the, the ethics of the whole thing. But- you get these female characters in this and you just know for one reason or another, they're just going to go tits up and it's just I, I, more than anything. It's not engaging. I think there are some fun things to be said about Ginger as a character. And I will get into that after the spoilers, but that, that, that bit just didn't interest me about the film, I guess. Which perhaps is because we have been so inundated with this kind like of Raging story. Raging yeah, to some degree. So, so frequently. And especially the same char- uh, same actors, I should say, as well. De Niro and Pesci, our two leading gentlemen. While they are very talented at what they do. And I like De Niro a lot more in this than I did in Raging Bull. What, that being said, they both are very interesting character studies. It's Fundamentally, it's not exactly the same but there's enough similarities that my dumb fuck moon brain just kind of goes <sighs> okay it's because there's pepper <laughs> well it's lucky we're pizza. not gonna fuck see you. de niro and pesci together in like another like four movies <laughs> before yeah, this list true. is done yeah yeah <laughs> they work together a lot i think that i think they are fun and i think from what i want to like right we had lots of complaints about Maybe the glorification of the- I've forgotten the guy's name, but the character in Raging Bull, because he was a real dude, like, the glorification of the way that he acted and shit like that. I had some issues with that, but he is this flawed, interesting character, whereas in this, he's sort of- I think we're maybe dodging into spoilers a little bit, but he is, he is like, sort of just the the level-headed, working-it-out kind of guy, which is maybe a little- easier to act. I think it makes him more appealing because obviously he's meant to be appealing. He's meant to be a guy who just has it figured out and is more or less, quote unquote, trying to do the right thing um, with his like personal sort of situation, which is something that he does not do in Raging Bull. Very true. And Joe Pesci has so much punch. He is quite fun in this. Like, Mm. I think he was just a bit of an enabler in Raging Bull, whereas he's such his own character and, like, acts as, like, a foil. He's got a lot more agency in, yeah, Yeah. in Casino, most definitely. Mm. Mm. He's given a little bit more to do, I think, which is, yeah, very nice. Well, especially when you take into consideration that when Raging Bull came out, he was unknown. No one had any fucking idea who the fuck Joe Pesci was. And then 
Scorsese pretty much helps, yeah, land him on the map. So it's good. It's fun. It's very fun. Twenty two minutes or something. So maybe we um maybe we keep moving to sport time. Quick little content warning. There's some slurs in this. There's some racist stuff. There's the F slur once or twice. Um, and there's a, a, a bit of violence in it. Um, it's mostly fine. There's just a real, a bit of a, a pretty nasty one in the sort of back end of the film. Um, that's a bit visceral. So, just be warned. It, it's just very bloody and people getting beaten up. Um, it's not too nice. Um, besides that, I think it's fine. I don't think there's any amazingly, I don't think there's actually any like sexual violence in this film, which is very nice. Thank you, Martin. Uh, a plus Scorsese. Well done. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's sort of the, 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 you know, the ground floor of, of, yeah, I, I really have not found the situation where sexual violence was really necessary in a movie. I've talked about this before. Don't like sexual violence in movies. Anyway, I think that's fine. There's like domestics, but I don't think it's domestic violence. So that's what's going on with this movie. Um, if that's not your cup of tea, uh, don't watch it. There are plenty of other films out there. Can we get like a can we get like a Douglas's Uber Eats sound for our spoiler noise? <laughs> Give us a crunch on that dumpling, Douglas. Douglas's mouth sounds from the original recording have been deemed too foul for general consumption and have been censored to keep this episode in line with expectations of public decency. Uh, anything past this point might be a spoiler. Thank you for the reminder, Douglas. I got you, baby. I mentioned early in, I sort of tiptoed around it, uh, the depiction of Ginger sort of just as a character. I feel like she gets like a very fucking raw deal, um, especially with like how the film ends. But I I think people seem to be mostly okay with it. It's sort of just a situation where there are, like, bad people and it happens to be a lady. But I, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on yeah, that other way. It felt, mm, it, felt mm. a little, it felt a little gross to me, especially mm. with the way that it ends. Yeah, her. yeah. The, the way that there is the connection with uh, James Woods' character- which there's that in itself feels a bit yucky as well. The, it feels very kind abusive, of, but I think yeah. I made that's the point. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of all abusive and toxic towards one another. So it just mm. it's very you know hate breeds hate or like uh, abuse breeds abuse. I guess perhaps is the commentary there. But I think Sharon Stone does a really good job with yeah. uh, everything that she's given. She gives a very convincing, believable, and honest performance. If I was looking at the rest of Scorsese's filmography and kind of prepping myself, if I were to step into a female role that was, you know, very similar to your Ginger, your Margot Robbie in Wolf of Wall Street, all of the female characters that have appeared in Scorsese's films have been some A-class fucking actresses. So, Mm, mm. yeah, it's... Mm, mm. Very talented. So, I guess purely from a sort of thematic perspective, she is a very interesting character because she presents this sort of a weakness of both Nikki and Sam. Sam, more obviously. Mm. He's the man that can have anything that he wants, but he wants her and he can't really have her. Like, she's mm. just she's just so tied up with Lester 
that he just, you know, he tries to make it work. He gives her, he gives her everything and, and there's just layers of fucking abuse that have just tainted her whole life and, and she oh. just can't get out of that. Sorry, while we're on James Woods and Lester, mm-hmm. did you, you've watched, have you seen Hercules, like Disney Hercules? Uh, <sighs> oh, yeah, no, 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 I, I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, it's Hades. The James Woods oh, voices voices Hades, and when I put that together, it was it was a huge jump scare for me. I was I was just watching it, and I was like, yeah, "Is it familiar?" And then he said something, and I just yeah. I literally like reeled back in my seat, and I went, "Ah, <laughs> it's the guy, <laughs> it's him." <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah. I can't believe yeah. that that's what he looks like because I've just always just envisioned that voice with the Hades look, which is because like I also I played Kingdom Hearts growing up and he voices Hades in all of that shit as well. So it's yeah, that's just always what I've uh kind of put him as. It's incredible. I think he's like a like a normal enough looking dude. He's got a very big forehead. He's a normal enough looking dude. They really skanked him up they, for this yeah movie. yeah they perv him up for casino a fair bit i think it might be the like widow's peak like the very receding hairline that doesn't help yeah, and yeah he's the, a the fucking horrible character well. he's, he is, he's, he's a, terrible he's really nasty but mm. yeah you've got you've got like sam can have anything in the world that he wants and and he can't have her and then you've got like nikki who She's the thing that, like, basically makes him betray Sam, like, who's his, like, oldest friend. Like, that's- it's- it's interesting. It just- it's just rough because when there are disputes between Sam and Ginger, like, it it normally feels like she's in the wrong. Yeah. Like- She's trying trying to take the money to Lester generally and just, like, trying to sort of squirrel away a bunch of cash and then run away with Lester is sort of- it just keeps happening. And it's- I mean, yeah, it's- uh, I want to, like, flesh out my thoughts from, like, a moral, ethical perspective and I think it's just, like, not helpful to do that. It's just sort of, like, this is what she is. Yeah, if you're trying to break it down to a kind of uh, psychology standpoint, I think she's definitely an interesting- study like there's the the scene where she asks for that money and then he's like okay what's it for and then she just kind of keeps on dancing around it and then uh eventually that scene just deflates into nothing because she never mm. actually tells him what it's for i think but he knows ex- you, 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 he feels like he knows exactly what it's for as well already there's yeah the that whole scene is her being very kind of Oh, what the fuck? Why are you asking me all of these questions? But then he's just kind of like, well, no, what the fuck? I just want to know what the money is for. My, uh, I just, I need some trust. I need some, some form of bond between, between the pair mm. of us, which I think seeing that in a Robert De Niro character is very nice for me. Like he's actually, if, if you took out all the violence and everything like that, that he does in like his day to day life while like, running the casino and all that <laughs> shit and all the money laundering and everything. He's a pretty good dad, you know? Like, it's the- the- both him and the- Joe Pesci's character are, like, pretty upstanding fucking dads, not gonna lie. Like, the- there's the one little montage with, I think, uh, Joe Pesci's character towards the middle of the film, and then 
there's some narration that talks about how no matter what, no matter where he is, no matter what he's doing, he always makes sure he's at home 6 a.m. making breakfast for his boy, which is, Mm. I think, say what you will about the mafia and everything, but they were very (laughs) familial. Like, they are very, very, we look after family, which I think is a, a very strong bond that really came through in those characters for me, which is really nice. Mm. Mm. It gave a sense of humanity and a sense of relatability to them, which was really nice. Yeah. The vulnerability that Robert De Niro's character shows is just so, so nice, especially when he's asking her to marry him and shit like that. Like, he's getting all gooey and he's like, ah, forget it. Don't worry about it. And he's like dusting his suit off and everything, which is kind of (laughs) declining him. I'm like, oh, De Niro, you little fucking cutie. There actually (laughs) is a heart under there. You bless your cotton socks. I I also like the like it feels bad to like it the death scene with Pesci you can yes, sort yeah. of you can sort of tell that something's kind of going wrong and it's almost it's almost like the conclusion of a yeah of like your snatch kind of thing where everything sort of starts wrapping up in a way and as soon as you sort of realize that's happening you're like oh no this no, 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 you're in the corn- That's not a good place to be. I would not want to be in the cornfield right now. When shit starts going tits up, yeah. Yeah, there's a sense of dread that builds up for the audience. Mm. Yeah, it's very nasty. They really just lean into it, which is good because I think a lot of- and There's also the the bit where they beat the guy's hand up with the hammer. Yeah. But a lot of the other violence- Like, this is another thing. Like, no fucking squibs in this movie. Again, like, this happened yeah. with- mm. Come and see didn't have any squibs. And it, it did feel a little funny when they would do, like, a little- Like, a little drive-by or whatever. They'd, like, just, like, walk past someone and just pop them and keep walking type thing. And, like, blood would come out of their mouths, but there'd be, like, nothing else. And you're like, that feels a little odd. Like, I think he shoots- She's, like, a lady- or something when she's just sitting there. Yeah, there's the lady that's uh, hassling and suing the the squeaky clean front man oh, for yeah, yeah. Uh, everything he's got. And then she ends up being assassinated. And then, yeah, that shot is like, bang, 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 bang to her head. But then just kind of like, shh, she just lays her to the side. And then she's like <laughs> biting into the squib in her mouth. And then, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, there's not like entry holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's the blood on the wall? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's- I mean, whatever. It's fine. It's goofy. It's, it's cute. I like it. It's it's fine. <laughs> it's 1995. Who gives a fuck? I feel like they had that technology back then. It's just weird. I'm just kind of wondering what the what the reasoning was. The budget is. was $52 million, so- Yeah. It's not yeah. safe to have a squib next to your head. Maybe these days all that kind of stuff is just purely digital effects or largely say, digital effects. Digital or, yeah, primarily like- you get the physical for the blood on the wall, perhaps, but, like, the actual, mm. for lack of a better fucking term, the particle effect of, like, the blood, like, <laughs> psh, you know, the the travel from there to the yeah. wall is- Yeah, I don't know. Who the fuck knows? I don't. <laughs> I'm not qualified <laughs> to talk about this subject, Jonathan. Let's move along. <laughs> Let's talk about something theatre-based, please. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. What's theatre-based in this film, Douglas? Well, there is those, uh, there is those stage dances. The, the glitz and the glamour, the fucking casino, the titular- Casino itself. I feel like we haven't really talked about that. It's fucking- What an amazing set. And the way that they pilot- Robert Richardson fucking pilots the camera and swirls it around the casino, like, overhead, down alongside, like, all the the tables, through the pokies and everything. It's great. I love the the sense of fluidity that the camera has whenever it's in the Mm. casino. It's always very- 
like floating and drifting, but also very fly on the wall. You feel like you're one of those people that's supposed to be catching the people who are cheating, you know? Uh-huh. It's I really like that kind of voyeuristic sense that you get as uh, that Robert gives you when you're in the the casino. There was some narration stuff about how casinos are basically just a land of addiction. Like it's it's a land of trying to give people just enough so that they'll come back with their earnings and lose it all. And I just find that so interesting because it's still like casinos are fucking well and thriving that present, you know, like it's capitalism ain't fucking dead. And I always found gambling to be a very, very interesting kind of psychological thing. And I recently had a little bit of a a, a gambling, um, not stint, but an adventure. I put in $50. And I made a hundred dollars, and I was, that that was that's the kick, you know. That's the thing that first lures you in because you're like, "Whoa, I actually got something out of this. I wasn't expecting it. Sick!" And then you walk away with the money. You're like, "Nah, I'm good. I've got my one hundred dollars. That's all I need. I'm happy." But then it like it comes back. It like sneaks its way back into your purview, and you're like, "I I still tech. I'm like fifty dollars up from where I was. So I'm technically <laughs> I have fifty dollars. I have fifty more dollars than the fifty dollars that I originally started with." If I just put in the $50 again, then I'll basically just back to square zero if I lose it all. But uh, instead of that, I put in $100, lost the whole thing. So, I was down $50 by the end of it. Exactly. Oh, my God. (laughs) But then I was like, okay, I'm not built for gambling because I realized that. I was like, that's just- uh, I'm not- Oh, you really, like, buried the lead there where you were just like, here's, like, some really, like, clever sound logic. And it's like, if only that's what I'd done. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, reflecting on it, that's what I should have done. But it, you get greedy. You get, like, there's there's that there's that fucking little gremlin in the back of your head that's like, nah, put it all in, you little fuck. You can make $200. Imagine that. <laughs> it's, it's such a fucking innate human instinct. Like, it's to- to to multiply to make make xyz bigger and casino really hits the nail on the head for a lot of that stuff like not just the people who are in the casino but the people fucking running the casinos as well like it's such a racket really mm. like especially back in the day when a lot of that shit could be more manipulated and controlled and changed and altered so that the dealer always wins and in the oh, that's not a back in the day thing. That has not changed in the slightest. I was I was just going to say in the in the current landscape that still rings true. It's it's kind of just the unspoken rule: the dealer is mm. always going to win. Especially, I hate saying this, but especially in the gaming landscape, there's there's a real <laughs> focus on gambling and like how open gambling is to a younger generation so like loot boxes and everything like all of that is being very widely debated in uh all of the appropriate it's getting, it's getting better now i think it is i think we're getting to a better place we're moving we're moving to the the battle pass system which is somewhat better yeah <laughs> yeah i much prefer that every fi- every 3 months chuck 15 dollars at a game you like and then if you play the game enough you get the cool things a okay mm. with me i love that but then there are still, like, the formula's not dead. Fucking games like Diablo Immortal, which is 
one of the most fucking microtransaction heavy games to come out in recent history. And ever and I was like, no one's gonna pay for that. Who the fuck is actually gonna put money in this dumb fucking thing? A lot of people have put money in it, <laughs> and it's not even out in fucking China yet. And China is one of the as statistically uh described one of the best demographics you can fucking hit for microtransaction heavy shit like that. So it's it's not dead. Gambling is still so fucking well and alive in our community that this it feels so present. Like just the idea of capitalism that casino presents is it's still so poignant and relevant, which I think is kind of crazy that this tale is still I mean I guess it shouldn't really be that crazy, but <laughs> 17-ish years on, it's still as poignant as it was when it first came out. That's it. Mm. It's it's kind of funny how, like, that, the kind of- And I, I, maybe there's probably not heaps to say there, but, like, the the sort of moral ethical part of casinos is just skipped over. Like, it's completely- It's barely even mentioned, um, but it sort of does underpin the whole thing. Yeah. He's just, like, the way that- Scorsese's character carries himself. He's just like, I mean, he technically is a legitimate businessman, even even if he's in this hyper exploitative system, like heading up this hyper exploitative system. So it's interesting that it wasn't focused on at all. Mm. But mm. you also sort of get it because it's like he is his little character study, and instead, it's it's quite interesting. Mm. Mm. Yo, if you've got a gambling addiction, uh, uh, I'll there's a description in the description of this podcast. I will link some sources if you are struggling with uh, gambling addiction or something like that, because um, I think that that's important thing to uh, address as well. Hmm. Thank you, Douglas. You mentioned the camera guy, Robert camera Richardson. Man. Yep, camera head of camera <laughs> affairs. Boy with the camera, it's just cinematographer running around. Sorry, with that's camera. what it was. <laughs> Robert, we need you upstairs. Robert's like, you got it. He's running up. <laughs> There's a bit early on that reminded me. I've forgotten the name of the film. It was that like sort of crime intrigue thrillery sort of film from like oh god, like maybe the sixties. Where it was like mostly set in like that one house, and it was about the oh yes, the, the murder, right? Yeah, what was it called? Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, oh, Dialem for murder. Dialem for murder. Thank you, Douglas. There's th- this is such a like unnecessary for us to spend five minutes off camera fucking finding. <laughs> I'm trying that. to remember what the fuck the name of the film was. You remember that shot where I think he throws like a wad of money and it like the camera like perfectly tracks oh, it. Oh yeah, it, like- you love that shot. Yeah, oh, you really it's so good. It's such a good shot. Over that shot. They've got a good one in this where he does a bunch of whip pans between people's faces. I mm. assume it's cut into cut to make that work because that feels like it would have been very difficult to do it quite that perfectly. Who knows? Maybe not. Um, but there's like little things like that. There's um, Edgar Wright sure loves to do it. He does. There's they can write definitely edits between them, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, like, some some funny little- uh, There's a shot, I think, in the in their wardrobe, like, their walk-in robe, where they've got this, like, perfect little, like, marble- Black marble surface that's, like, this great mirror of- It sort of lets you see, I think, Sharon Stone's face a bit better, I think. Or maybe it was Robert Nero. One of them is, like, a bit more obscured, and you get, like, a bit more flavor out of them. Yeah, there's, 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 they did a very good job with that. And 
there's always lots of variety. This this happened also in Wolf of Wall Street, and I think it's once again with this editing and this film structure style, you need like a huge amount of visual variety to sort of make it all behave, and they do a fucking cracking job there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you catch the? It's I think. The particular shot in question is used maybe twice or three times throughout the film, but the shot with all of the guys who are getting paid off and they're all at the table, the Last Supper. Oh um, yeah. The the placing of you know everyone, the shot placement, the the table itself, the way all the characters are looking and conversing with each mm. other. Each other. It, I was immediately just like, "You motherfucker, Martin! <laughs> How dare you put a Last Supper in this motherfucker?" <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and they've got this great intense lighting with that where yeah. mm. it's super dark. Background like is just the, black. The fringes. Yeah. yeah. And then they're just lit. They do it a lot with those guys when they cut yeah. back to them. That That's always fun. Yeah. Makes them feel yeah. very ominous and kind of uh, almost big brothery, you know. Yeah. Very overseer kind of energy, mm. which, yeah, really sets their, their vibe very, very well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots, there's lots of fun little things. I like, I like the shot where they go. Nikki's like, Sam walks in and like doesn't say anything to Nikki, and there's like, look at them, they're having a good time, and they're like, so are we, and then it like cuts to like a wide shot, and they're all sort of just like sitting there, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have like a little bit of comedy, like just like a little visual comedy every now and then. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, Always it's good. pretty key to some ways. Mm. Yeah. Well. I think we've gotten all our stupid little silly thoughts out, Douglas. All our little tiddly bits. I genuinely, like, I didn't have too many notes uh, for this film. It was, I was just kind of, yeah, I'd, I'd run out of things to really write about. It was just more so just absorbing the experience, I think, mm. more so than anything. Oh, my last bit that I did write about was how whenever they talk about where De Niro came from, De Niro's characters came from, they always say back home. They never actually say where he's from which is also a very kind of snatch energy kind of a thing they always say back home they never say where his actual hometown was which was if we're going off of the character uh, sorry the real life figure that de niro's character is based on the home is chicago um otherwise it's always referred to as back home yeah interesting i I thought that was cute Mm, yeah mm. Well, Douglas. Yeah. Do you have any freaking trivia about Casino? I certainly do. I've got um Sharon Stone once told her acting coach, quote, I want to be good enough to work with Robert De Niro. End quote. Oh. oh and good for so her. she did. And so and that and that's and that's just what happened. <laughs> and that's how the happen did. This is the third Martin Scorsese film in which Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Frank Vincent appeared following Raging Bull and Goodfellas. I love Frank Vincent. We didn't talk about him. He's fun. Oh, and that was my fun little thing is like, like you've had the narration for the first two and a half hours or whatever, two hours and 15 minutes of the movie mm. with just De Niro and Pesci. And then the bit where he's like, it's, uh, the, the old guy's like, it's. Is Nikki fucking Sam's wife, and um, yeah, and it like cuts him with like Frankie's the narration. Hard freeze, yeah, yeah. That is the the snatchest moment in you this love film. that shit. Great. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, so good, yeah. so good. That's the if you were to make a film, that's the kind of energy that you would make uh, in your film, no question. Uh, he plays. I just realized Mark Vincent plays Billy Bats in. Uh, Goodfellas, and that's a that's a name that I I know. I haven't seen Goodfellas, but I know the name Billy Bats. I don't know how, but I know. <laughs> it. So, 
we'll fucking cross that bridge in like three years time. Don Rickles said of his character, quote, Billy Sherbert is a combination of guys I've known. It didn't take a great amount of concentration on my part because I grew up in this town, end quote. Interesting. Oh, so he's from uh, Vegas. Yeah, Don Rickles uh, plays Billy Sherbert in a Casino. And oh my. He voiced Mr. Potato Head. Oh, <laughs> the fuck. That is awesome. That's that sick. So good. good for you, Don Rickles. Mm. Wow, he'd make an amazing Mr. Potato Head. He is Mr. Potato Head. He's literally- <laughs> You'd be so good as Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> he is Mr. Well, po- I'll fucking- Well, I'll funny you say. <laughs> the F word is said 435 times. That's fuck, by the way, not the other one. Uh, including in the narration. 2.4 times per minute on average. The film held the record for the most uses of the word until the release of Summer of Sam in 1999, which also had a reported 435 uses. The record was later broken by The Wolf of Wall Street, which had close to 600 uses. Jeez. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> uh, most of James Woods' lines were improvised, including the phone call with Ginger after her wedding. Originally, Woods was not supposed to speak during that scene. Woods came up with an idea that Lester would be with a prostitute and doing cocaine while on the phone with Ginger. Oh, I hated that scene of him just like, oh, I remember you when you were a teenager. And I'm like, oh, yuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yucky. Frank Lefty Rosenthal, who is the inspiration for Sam Ace Rothstein in the film, hated the scene of Sam juggling on his television show. Rosenthal maintained that he never juggled on his show and felt that the scene made him look foolish. <laughs> what a weird fucking thing to get hung up on. But also, the, the this is the same gentleman who, you know, the bit where he's talking about how many blueberries are in, in Squeaky Clean Man's muffin yeah. and then how many blueberries are in his muffin? Real actual thing that happened. <laughs> he went to the chef's and fucking ordered them to have an equal amount of blueberries in every single muffin. <laughs> this is the same man that thought that shit. So, you know what? Not quite so out of my- <laughs> I don't have to reach too far to, yeah, to believe yeah. that bit of trivia. To avoid the continuity problems that accompany a chain-smoking movie character, Robert De Niro always held his cigarettes the same distance from the lit end so that their lengths never appeared to change. Oh. That's a lot of fucking, like, Stuff to keep track of as an actor. Like, you got to make sure you're always, like, the, at the, uh, the right spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucked. You get, you get, I reckon the trick with that is you get, like, a 10-centimeter cigarette and then you got plenty of, like, dead stock to work with <laughs> between shots. Yeah, just <laughs> fucking around with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the casino scenes were shot at the Riviera between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. so as not to get in the way of the real gamblers. Although the casino didn't want the shoot to interrupt its business, that didn't prevent it from trying to lure more punters inside by putting up a large banner that said, quote, Robert De Niro, Sharon Stone, and Joe, Pish- Joe Pesci filming the new movie Casino Inside. Fuck me, Dan. It's like, <laughs> it's literally like what the film is like filming about and like it's art imitating reality. That shit's crazy. I love that. The producers said that one of the most difficult things about filming this movie was finding people who would tell them how to cheat in the casino. <laughs> 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 yeah, that sort of makes sense. Just walking up to like all the fucking the people who are supposed so, to be catching uh, out the cheaters, and they're like, "So, uh, <coughs> uh, how do you, how do you, how do you get ahead in one of these places? You know what I mean?" Yeah, and he's like <coughs> very clumsily handing him like a five dollar bill, like palmed. <laughs> <in his> <laughs> <laughs> how do you, 
I need to keep a hand in one of these crazy old joints. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette the wrong way burns his mouth. Um, <laughs> I really like this character that I've made for myself. He's, got, he's going in our movie, Douglas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he has Absolutely. to. When James Woods heard that Martin Scorsese was interested in working with him, Woods called Scorsese's office and left the following message, quote, Any time, any place, any part, any fee, end quote. No, wait, sorry, let me do that in my best James Woods uh, impression. Uh, Hades. Uh, yeah, you're doing great, kid. Uh, any time, any place, any part, any fee. No, that's not. <laughs> that was bad. Cut that out. That was bad. I can't, I can't do James Woods. I've got to watch Hercules again. It's staying in. It's staying in. You fucker. <laughs> <laughs> my one bad impression. <laughs> one bad impression. I've tried Christopher. Anyway, in the Blu-ray commentary, Sharon Stone relates a story of how she came to be in the film. She says her first two auditions for Martin Scorsese ended up being cancelled for various mundane reasons, such as that Scorsese was held up by another meeting, and Stone's paranoia convinced her that he was blowing her off. That's a poor choice of wording, but anyway. When the director's people contacted her to try it a third time, she turned them down and went out to dinner with a friend instead. Scorsese tracked her down and showed up at the restaurant where she was dining to make a personal appeal. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's fucking hectic. Yeah. Good, good like, integrity on Scorsese's part, though. It's actually, like, to chase up and be like, no, like, I wasn't- that. that's my bad. Maybe hmm. do it the next day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is not a maybe. Dinner with a also, friend. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe give her a return phone call. Yeah, 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 yeah. true. If you came and knocked on her door the next day, it'd be like, okay, fair enough. But like- It'd be like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, right whatever. Here. Fuck it. You do- Hey, Scorsese, you weird blowfish motherfucker. You do things however you want. She was probably happy to uh, have him be interested. So whatever. Joe Pesci's wife at the time of filming, Claudia Harrow, played Trudy, the co-hostess and band leader of Aces High. Harrow and Pesci divorced and she remarried. And then she was convicted in 2000 of two counts of attempted murder for hiring a hitman to try and kill her other ex-husband who was a stuntman. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Joe Pesci's wife, ex-wife, is as fucking metal as all the characters that Joe Pesci plays. <laughs> That's fucking sick. Uh, and then finally, the costume budget for the film was $1 million. Robert De Niro had 70 different costumes throughout the film. Sharon Stone had 40. Both were allowed to keep their costumes after filming had stopped. <laughs> Cheeky bastards. Cheeky motherfuckers. Robert De Niro's got like probably half a million worth of fucking clothing kicking around in his wardrobe. Mm. I did like that shot where he- um where the guy gets called up and he's like, oh, just hold on to him for a second. And he, like, stands up from the desk and he's just yeah, in his yeah. underwear. Pulls and he's, like, pulls pants, the, yeah. Pulls the pants. Like, he's wearing, still wearing his shoes. He's just yeah, not wearing yeah. pants. Slips them on over the shoes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the real energy. I like that. I really want a pastel-coloured suit now, though, after, after watching this film, let me tell you. Well, thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. Thank Jonathan, you. My friend. Thank you. Friend Douglas, if you enjoyed, <laughs> if you enjoy Friends on the internet, we put out episodes of the Two Five O every week, uh, coming out at Tuesday midnight Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want more info on the podcast? 
If you want to find out more information about the podcast, you can check out the description. There'll be a link there, or you can just open up your favorite web browser. Type in www.250.com. There's a nice little hub there for everything that is 250. You can listen to the podcast on there, see the full list of films, that, uh, which is the snapshot that we took back in January 2020 of the INDB Top 250 list. If you want to have a look ahead and see whether there's any of your favorite films that pop up on there, and yeah, you can send us an email on there. There's a link to our Instagram, which is probably one of the best ways to either get in touch with us directly or just keep track of when episodes are coming out. And yeah, you can listen to the podcast on there as well. Hmm. Um, Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a mail tracking and reviewing website we're great big fans of. My mail tracking? Letter- yep. Um, movie <laughs> tracking <laughs> website <laughs> that we're great big fans of. Uh, my account on Letterboxd is... Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. My account is Ienzo Knight, I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, Ienzo Knight. Uh, we do written reviews of all the films that we talk about here on the 250, as well as any other films that we watch in our spare time. Uh, in my spare time, I did not get the chance to watch anything, but uh, I am going to have a lot more free time on my hands, so expect there to be more films in this section what are the what are the media stuff you've been doing douglas what is what's been keeping your grubby little fingers full right now music actually i've been listening to a lot of music i've been i've been smacking away beyonce's new album i've really been vibing that i still haven't listened to it man oh i keep forgetting uh it's such a homage to ballroom and just bringing ballroom vibes to a mainstream audience ballroom's back baby yeah oh i love it i'm just i'm so so happy that that's the direction that Beyonce took with the album. Plus all the, near all the tracks are pretty much all killer, no filler. So that's really good. And what other songs have I been listening to? Just kind of like whatever's been popping up on my release radar on Spotify or my Discover Weekly. Just, yeah, anything really that pops up on there. Like there's this one track uh, that's called Why Is She Hiding In His Eyes? And the artist is literally just lines, just lots and lots and lots and lots of lines. Uh, really cool track. Go and listen to it. It's very um, atmospheric. Yeah. I'm going to check my last FM and see what I've been listening to. Um, Why is she hiding in the other man's eyes? I think that's what I said. If I didn't, that's what it is. Um, you know what I did? Uh, what did you do, Jonathan? Last night, Douglas, <gasps> I rewatched Top <gasps> Gun. To- oh, like the OG Top Gun? Yeah, yeah. And nice. you know what? Yeah. Second time around? Uh-huh. That movie is better on the second ah. watch. I I think it's just because I really- I just really liked- uh, um, Yeah, I, it's, it's a weird one. It's not a good movie, but for some reason it was more enjoyable once you sort of knew what was happening. <laughs> very odd. Very, very odd. And what else did I- what have I been listening to? I've been listening to all kinds of things. I was listening to Fatima Al-Kadiri, which is, I believe, a Chinese artist who does, like, some sort of- I just saw a vinyl of theirs on- oh, no. Okay, wait. You had me at vinyl. I just- no, okay. Okay, this is weird. Well, I- 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 I, I'm gonna allow myself- the being fooled thing because they're wearing a like a like Chinese dress of some flavor. Um, their name was Fatima. I don't know why I didn't think they were fucking Arabic, but whatever. Um, 
They were born in Senegal, which is in West Africa, and then they are based oh, in Brooklyn. Cool. Anyway, um, oh. the the I was listening to uh, uh, Asia Tish, uh, which is this like electronic music, but with these at least what appear to be um, very like Chinese like influences and samples and stuff. It was weird. It was interesting. And okay. um, what was I listening to last night? That was like a fucking great one. That Meta Room and Cube Natural just put out a new track called Eba. I think it is. No, uh, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> yes, no. Yeah, yes, no. Yes, no. I'm going to confirm. <laughs> no, Ray the Flow is their new one. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> it just goes very fucking hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, all, all kinds of shit. All kinds of shit going on here. Listen to lots of ambient music for a nice change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> Very outside of John's purview. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's some, some fun, some fun little things kind of sprinkled in there. And I will listen to Beyonce next week. Yeah, and, definitely uh, should. I think I'll enjoy it. Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. Well- Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, sorry yeah. that last bit was so rambly. It's a good thing that we decided not to overthink it because we were not structured in the slightest. At all. We hope to see you next time. Have a wonderful remainder of your day. I'll see you later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.